The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen, Ecclesia. You sound beautiful singing together. Will you give me a moment and allow me to pray for you and with you and over you? Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for a unique hour in the course of our week. For many of us, we keep moving. We've got uh, schedules and rituals that keep us on point. And yet we set aside this hour and we pause. And our whole purpose in this hour, and truly we pray over the course of this day, is to rest and to be with you, to hear from you. Or different than the rest of the days in our week, together we join our voices in song. Very few of us would gather with coworkers tomorrow and begin to sing. And yet something happens beautifully when we begin to unite our voices in song. And so God, we pray that as we pause, as we listen for you, as we praise and adore you, as we begin to remind ourselves of the things that are most important in this world, that it would change and alter the course of the rest of our week, the rest of our relationships. We pray all of this together. And we pray it in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia on the west side. Um, there are a few new faces. I feel like for a few of you, you need to say, I'm Pastor Chris. And uh, some of you have probably started coming over the course uh, of the summer. And many of you are people that I've known for a long time. And I just have to tell you how great it is uh, to be back in the place that I love to be, um, teaching and walking with you. Um, you look great, but I have to admit, I had um, some expectations. I was gone for about a month, uh, and I really believed that when I came back and I turned the corner towards the church, um, that I would see Piney Point Road looking like the streets of heaven. I really thought <laughs> they would be streets of gold, perfectly paved and beautiful. And I can see that someone took a long siesta while I was gone. And, uh, I'm filled with pain and disappointment, if I'm really honest. So uh, what has become clear to me, it was slightly clear before I left, it's crystal clear now, uh, is that if you're new to Ecclesia, you may not know this, but one of the greatest spiritual gifts we have as a church, one is generosity, uh, one is authenticity. This is a place that you can be generous, you can be who you are. One of the unique gifts that we have as a church is that uh, we have the gift of throwing great parties. It's not a claim that many churches hold on to, uh, but we have a reputation to uphold, and we like to throw a great party, and it was clear to me this morning uh, that um, if Piney Point is ever completed before Jesus returns, <laughs> that's a big if, but if it happens, we should throw the most amazing party on this campus. So if anybody's in, I think we should do it. So it'll be the I freaking can't believe the road is complete uh, party. So. Um, and it ought to have great barbecue and a great band. And so I just want you to start thinking. Everybody who clapped is going to contribute uh, <laughs> towards the party. So um, I'll let you know what the budget is soon. And uh, sometime around 2024, we will be ready to throw that party if the current schedule is any indication. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my month and where I've been. But first, got a question for you. And I want to give you a few minutes to think about it. So... Uh, this is the question. I want you to look over the course of your life as best you can at 11 a.m. on a Sunday and try to remember a time that you did the wrong thing. Maybe you broke the rules. Maybe you broke the law, but you did it for the right reasons. So you did the wrong thing, but you did it for the right reasons. And if you can't think of that, I'm going to give you an out, but I think you can find one. 
a time that maybe you did the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reasons. Like at every Ecclesia service, there's at least one guy here that's only here because he's hoping a certain chick's gonna show up. So not here for Jesus, there's no other worship intention. It's just like if she shows up, it's worth it. If not, I'm gonna, when they pray, I'm gonna leave, right? Um, it's doing the right thing, but doing it for the wrong uh, reasons. So give that a little bit of thought and I'll tell you a little bit what we're gonna talk about today. We've been in a series over the course of the summer that we're looking at some great films that have gospel or good news themes in them. Uh, so there are a lot of films that have those kind of good news themes in them. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, I shared with you one of my all-time favorite comedies, The Princess Bride, that's filled with great um, messages and great stories. And I learned that many of you have seen The Princess Bride like 50 or 60 times, unbelievable numbers of times that you've watched The Princess Bride. Uh, Sean got to share with you about some of the gospel themes, the hero themes in films like Batman. Um, he shared with you about uh, the film Bruce Almighty, written and directed by one of my friends, Tom Shadiak. If you missed this sermon, Sean did a great job inviting you into some beautiful truths uh, around the Bruce Almighty film. I'm hoping still to get in a few more films. One that I would like to talk to you about before the fall hits, if the schedule works out, is a film that I love that came out on an Easter Sunday, uh, a film called The Matrix. Um, this film is so good. Um, literally, the story is so good that you can watch the whole film and you literally forget when you're watching the film that Keanu Reeves can't act. You literally, like you're watching it and it doesn't even occur to you, this guy can't act. And you watch him in another film and you're like, they actually pay him to do this? Like, how did he get that job? I'm a better actor than Keanu Reeves is what I often think when I'm watching the films. Or we might even look at a film like um, Nacho Libre. Probably not. We actually won't. I'm just trying to see if you're awake at 11 a.m. So there are no gospel themes at all in Nacho Libre. There are, are none. So, um, so back to the first question. Um, and the film we're going to look at today is one of my all-time favorite um, works, um, works of literature, uh, works in the theater, and as well as on the big screen. It's a story that was written over 150 years ago by a guy named Victor Hugo. Uh, the story is known as Les Mis, Les Miserables. And uh, Les Mis is filled with a story, it begins with a story of a guy, Jean Valjean, who does something wrong, but he does it for the right reasons, right? You remember what he does, right? He goes and he steals, he breaks a window pane, he steals a loaf of bread because he has a niece that's starving. And he goes, brings this bread, feeds his niece, ultimately is arrested, sentenced to five years in prison, he tries to escape, ultimately serves 19 years of hard, intensive labor in prison camp labor. Um, he was doing the right thing, the wrong thing, but for the right reason. So you got 45 seconds, something that you did, grab the people around you, try not to leave anybody out, two or three people, and just tell them the thing that you remember where you did the wrong thing, but you did it for the right reasons. If you can't think of that one, a time you did the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reasons. Your motivations were off. You got 45 seconds, go. Okay, hopefully all of you got a second. If you didn't, you can finish it up later. This is your lunch starter. It can at least get a good conversation going. I'll tell you briefly the wrong thing I did in July, but I did it for the right reasons. I'll actually show it to you so you can see how wrong it was. But first, let me tell you a little bit where I've been. I started off my July uh, with a group of Ecclesians in the Holy Land. My absolute favorite thing that I get to do uh, is take people to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This summer trip, 
has got a lot of young people and uh, a lot of teachers, particularly on this trip. And uh, we do, everywhere we do, we go first class with food. This was like third class lodging, first class food. And it makes it cheaper, but it was, it was unbelievable the kind of community that we formed. And I got to take my 12-year-old Christian on this trip, which was an unbelievable gift uh, for me. I made my way from the Holy Land uh, through uh, Ethiopia. I'll tell you a little bit about that in the sermon, just a layover stop through Addis Ababa. And then on to uh, Zambia, where I got to spend time with the team with Living Water. Some of our Ecclesia team, video and story team came over to share time uh, with Living Water. And we hosted an amazing conference for pastors in Africa. So we had about 300 Zambian pastors and about 100 other pastors and church leaders from all across Africa. And we got to share and spend time together talking about what we get to do in bringing the good news of Jesus to people in communities where people desperately need clean water, and we get to work with the local church that's declaring the good news of Jesus as we do that. It's, if you know me, you know this is one of my favorite things that I get to do, and to be with these pastors is so inspiring, and I have so much I'll get to share with you that I learned in that time. I also got to spend time with my daughters and a group of about a dozen Ecclesians at a fabulous ministry uh, called Family Legacy. They do a ministry called Camp Life, and each of us got about 10 kids we got to love on for the week. For me, Sometimes Ecclesia, as beautiful it is, can be overwhelming, all the things that we have to do, the staff that we get to lead. And so getting 10 kids that my job is just to pastor them for the course of the week uh, is a gift. These were my 10 boys. Uh, as you can see, we couldn't get a single photo all week that everybody is looking at the camera. Uh, but we had a great time together, getting to serve and love for them, letting them, uh, both getting to pray for and minister to them, and then they, they pray for you and minister to you in a way that is really hard to explain uh, or describe. In the midst of that journey, I was uh, invited to preach at a large church in Lusaka, Zambia. Uh, I realized when I was there, I get used to Ecclesia attire, right? I literally think I had mostly tennis shoes, flip-flops, a golf shirt was about as nice as anything I had in my attire. And in Africa, it's not quite the Ecclesia dress code. Um, people wear their very best to go to church. And so on a Friday, I was visiting the school that my daughter was serving at for a month. They have a group of widows that make clothes, they make bags, and uh, one of them offered to make me a sport coat, and I realized like, I actually need a sport coat because uh, I'm going to preach at this church. And so uh, this sweet person at this uh, school offered to make me an African sport coat, so I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, the church that I preached at, <laughs> Uh, loved it. So it's, um, as I, uh, I, I tried to wear it well, uh, they did not like my sermon much, but they loved my sport coat at this uh, church in Zambia. So the wrong thing I did for the right reasons is that uh, a white pastor from the United States should not go to Africa and dance in front of about eight or 900 people. But before you preach, literally, they brought the choir back up before I preach. And the pastor, basically, it's like a dance challenge. I thought it was like, Dancing with the Stars, Pastor Edition. Um, they basically had a dance-off, so he would do a dance move and then I would have to imitate the dance move. I'll let you see how ugly it actually was for just a brief second. Um, that's, a, that's, that's all I'm gonna show you. That's all, I can't. I can't preach if I let you see any more, but it, uh, I think basically it's like we need something to laugh at, so we've got the white guy here. Let's make ourselves laugh uh, for a while. So, so why would I, I talk to you about Les Mis? Uh, of all the stories and films we could talk about, um, 
There are a lot of great movies. There are a lot of great movies with spiritual themes. Let me tell you why I, I absolutely have fallen in love with this story. Um, one is that it's a story of redemption, but that story of redemption happens because I believe in a way that's unique to the story of Les Mis, we see a demonstration of the whole gospel. What I'll talk to you about from time to time is the whole gospel or an integral mission, an integrated mission. That what often happens when we talk about the gospel or the good news, certain groups within the church are often saying, well, the good news is when you declare the story of Jesus to people. The good news are the words that you speak. There are other traditions, other Christians, other churches that say, no, the good news is what you do. You do the good news. You go and you care for the poor. You, you feed the hungry. You serve your neighbor. And when you do the good news, that's the good news. You don't need to talk about it. You just do it. Anybody grow up in one of the two of those traditions? Like, I grew up in a tradition that we talked about it. We didn't do much, but we had a track for everywhere you go, right? And you were supposed to tell people about Jesus. When I talk about the whole gospel or an integral mission, this is what I mean. You do both. You declare the good news with the actions that you live, with the way that you live and what you do. And then as you do it, because it's rooted in your love for Jesus and Jesus' love for you, you have to talk about it and explain that what I'm doing is a gift that comes through me from Jesus. And you begin to tell the story of Jesus. It's not either or, it's both. And what we see in the story of Les Mis is the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, being declared with words and demonstrated with actions, specifically the actions of my favorite character in this story, uh, the character of Bishop Mansour, right? The bishop uh, was a leader in the church. He'd come from a very, very wealthy family. And somehow along the way, he had felt called to give his life to serve the church and to serve Jesus. And what we know in the story, it's a little bit different in the book than it is in the film or the musical, as is always the case. But what's common is that the bishop encounters Jean Valjean, who has been given after 19 years of hard labor. Right? Do you remember the first song that they sing in Les Mis? Any Les Mis fans here, you remember right off the bat the first song that they're singing in the prison camps? It's what? Look down, right? And they just sing over, look down, look down, you're standing in your grave. This is the place that you will die. It's hopeless, hopeless. You're going to work here until they work you to death, and you will die in this spot. And in the midst of that story, after 19 years of hard labor, Jean Valjean is given what they say is his ticket of leave. Prison's not really over for you. You're always going to be marked as a thief, as a prisoner. Nobody will employ you. Nobody will give you a chance. Nobody will give you a place to stay, but you can leave this place of forced labor. And he leaves, and that's exactly the case. No one will take him in. No one will even let him sleep in their barn with the animals. You hear a biblical reference already taking place, right? And ultimately, he's left out in the cold when Bishop Mansour, the local pastor, sees him. Now, you hear other biblical references here, right? What happens when uh, there's a great story in the Bible of this one who is wounded and robbed and hurt and wronged and left out, and the people coming and pass them, right? And who passes them? Religious people. And how's that story go? Not very well, right? It's as though you read that story and you think the last person you want to pass you, if you're in real trouble, is a pastor, right? 
And Bishop Mansour encounters Jean Valjean, and the whole story, this hopeless story, pivots completely, has a complete change. And the bishop sees Jean Valjean in the cold, right? And you remember what he says? He comes to him, he says, he sings to him in the musical, right? Come inside for you are weary, and the night is cold out there. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. It's an important line. Remember, we're going to come back to it. And then he talks about what they have. He says, there is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There is a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. And then the bishop brings him in. And he experiences this radical Jesus hospitality. The kind of gift that's such an extravagant gift that when nobody else will let you sleep in, your, in their barn and all of a sudden a pastor brings you in and feeds you an amazing meal on silver and refers to you as the honored guest and treats you as the honored guest, right? And in this moment, Jean Valjean experiences the grace of God in a way that changes him. It changes him literally forever. And it's in this place, right, that Jean Valjean reverts to who he's been told that he is. He's a thief. And in the middle of the night, he gets up and steals the silver, assaults the bishop, and runs. And I'm not going to show you many scenes from the actual film because, uh, for one, uh, they cast Russell Crowe in this. They forgot it was a musical, and Russell Crowe can't sing. Um, so there'll be no scenes from Javert at all, but this beautiful scene with Jean Valjean. This is when he has escaped with the silver. He's been captured and brought back to the bishop. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for
I think this is one of the most powerful scenes in all of literature, on stage, and in film. Because Bishop Muriel demonstrates and speaks the good news of Jesus in a way that for Jean Valjean, it, it can't be ignored, right? In, in, the, um, in the book, it describes that Bishop Muriel has come to Jean Valjean and he says, you have, you have promised to take this silver and use it to become an honest man, right? And uh, you know, Jean Valjean has to be sitting there like, I didn't promise anything. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But this bishop speaks in faith that I know this is what God's going to do in you. Sometimes as pastors, this is what we do. We just tell you, hey, you're already funding a party you didn't even know was happening before you got here. It's just what you're going to do. It's how we're going to respond because uh, we're the people of good news. And they, they say in the, in the story, in the, in the novel, the Bishop Mariel came from great riches. In fact, he had given away almost everything he had from this life of wealth. One of the last things he held on to was his silver. He was so accustomed to, this is what you would eat with and eat on, real silver, real silver plates, real silverware. It was the last kind of remnants of his extravagant wealth, and he gifts it to Jean Valjean in a way that starts a new life for him. It was said of Bishop Mariel that when he was wealthy, he would visit the poor, and when he became poor, he would visit the rich so that the rich could serve the poor that he now served. It's part of what the church does, right? And it's part of what I want to talk about. Bishop Mariel had a nickname in the novel. Anybody remember what it is? They called him in Italian, uh, Monsignor Bienvenu or we would say in English, Mr. Welcome, or in Spanish, Señor Bienvenidos, right? He was Mr. Welcome. That wherever he went, and this is what I want you to think about with me today, wherever he went, he had a unique gift that put people at ease, whoever they were. It put them at ease and made people feel welcomed and loved. And I wonder, Ecclesia on the west side, what would it look like if we had a church filled with people that were Mr. and Mrs. Welcome? That whoever you encountered, people came up and they said, whether you uh, were living uh, on the streets or whether you had just lost your job or whether you were a CEO or a housekeeper, this is the kind of person that made you feel welcomed and loved when they were in your presence. That's the kind of person person Bishop Mansour was. And so I want to look at the lines that he utters to Jean Valjean in their first encounter and invite you into some things that I think um, all of us could take on in a way that would make us more like Mr. or Mrs. Mrs. Welcome. So four things I want you to consider. Uh, the first, uh, you hear sung uh, by Jean Valjean in the, in the, the, the novel, um, Jean Valjean is sitting at the table with Bishop Mansour and he asks him, do you know my name? And Bishop Mansour says, I know your name. Jean Valjean begins to get scared because he thinks if you know my name, you know I'm 24601, you know uh, what I've done, you know that I'm a criminal. And he says, I know your name, Bishop Mansour says, he says, your name is brother. You're my, you're my brother. And this is the thing I think we can all learn from Bishop Mansour. Uh, we hear it clearly in Romans 15, right? In Romans 15, 7, it reminds us, so accept one another in the same way the anointed has accepted you. How's the anointed accepted you? Just as you are. The anointed comes just as you are. The anointed one, Jesus, has accepted you so that God will get the praise that he is due. What's beautiful about the way Bishop Mansour treats people is that he treats everyone like their family, their brothers, their sisters. Everyone is family. 
Ecclesia, we have to be, we are called to be these kind of people. One of the traps the church often falls into is that we begin to elevate ourselves as we serve others, right? So people become projects instead of people. And it doesn't work that way. Downtown, we get to do a lot of work with brothers and sisters who are currently without a home. But you know what? They're never the homeless. They're brothers and sisters. As soon as we turn people into a category, they fail to be people. And something beautiful happens when we just say, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're welcome at my table. And the dignity that's offered to Jean Valjean when he's treated as family, right? You remember the song, you're going to hear it in a few moments. He says, he called me brother. And the fact that he was referred to as a part of the family is life-changing. So first, everyone's family. Second, um, best way I can tell you this is if I tell you a story of what happened to me recently. Um, the nine o'clock, they didn't seem to care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, when I was on a short layover on my trip in July, I tend to live with this kind of just, um, maybe it's a lack of fear, maybe it's faith that I just think I'm always safe wherever I go. But I was in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia on a short layover. Um, one of the things you'll know if you travel with me, um, I don't have a lot of rules when I travel, um, but if you travel with me in a group, I got one rule, and it's a hard and fast rule. If you travel with me, you don't check bags. It's not allowed, you don't do it. Because what's going to happen is you're traveling with me, you're checking your bags, then we're going to get there, and the airline's always going to lose your bag. They're going to lose somebody's bag, and they're going to be right, waiting around for your bag, trying to coordinate how they would get to us. And I really don't want to mess with it. So, and then if you don't have your bag, you're going to want to borrow my underwear, and I want to keep my underwear. So I want you to pack in a way that you can get everything in one carry-on bag, and we'll do some laundry along the way. So uh, that's my travel philosophy. Sometimes it comes back to bite me, and I'll run out of clean laundry. So I'm in Ethiopia. I can't find a place to do laundry. I just decide I'm going to go buy one extra pair of underwear and a T-shirt, and I'm going to get through. And so the hotel tells me where the shopping center is. It's 10 blocks this way and three blocks that way. And I began to go out on a walk, and it's rainy season in Ethiopia, and I'm trying not to step in puddles. So I got my head down. And while I had my head down, some guy thought it was an opportunity to try to snake my iPhone. And he just comes in. He hits me hard and he tries to reach in my pocket, right? And I feel him coming, I actually end up punching him, and we kind of both fall over. I had these pants on that had a zipper, luckily, and it was zipped so he didn't get my phone. Uh, but it was this moment that I realized, like, yeah, none of us are made to walk like this, right? We're made to walk like this. Next time I'm just gonna get my shoes dirty, right? Because it's a lot easier than losing your iPhone or getting punched in the hip, which was not the place that I wanted to be punched. And literally, as you walk around, this is what I want you to know. If you'll just keep your eyes up and your head on a pivot, you're gonna see somebody with a need, always. Your neighbor, your coworker, a friend. Half the time we don't see the need around us is because we have our head down and it's not how we're made to live. Pull your head up, right? Keep your head up, keep your head on a swivel and you'll see the people around you in need. So first, everyone's family. Second, keep your head up. Third. And this one's really important. It sounds really simple, but it's easy for, to forget. Share wherever there's a need. Wherever there's a need, share. This is the thing for most of us. We try to start teaching our kids from the time they're born, right? If we organize a play group over here and we say, hey, bring some things and let's let your kids play, 
What's the inevitable thing that happens within about 30 minutes? Your kids brought toys, somebody else has brought toys. What's the first cry or scream you hear? Mine, right? Mine, that's mine. And we start to hold on to it. And as parents, Lisa and I, we learned early on, like we'd go over and we began to tell them, that is yours, that is yours, it's yours to share. We gave it to you, and even at Christmas, even at birthdays, we'd remind, that's now yours. It's yours so that you can share it. We've given it to you so that you can share it with others. And we'd have to remind them, the whole reason this is given to you is so that you can share it. What does the Bible tell us? That you're blessed for what? To be a blessing. God has blessed you, why? So that you can be a blessing to others. It's yours, Ecclesia, to share. And so God's given it to you, he's entrusted it with you because he has believed that you will be willing to share it wherever you see a need. And that the lifestyle of Bishop Muriel is one that we wanna imitate. We're busy holding on to things that we need to let go of and when we see a need, we share. We share and we share generously. In the early days at Ecclesia, um, I was reminded by Elizabeth uh, last week that we had, when the church was really small, and I think we should do this on the west side, we, um, we embarked on a unique project. We created a, a spreadsheet. Everybody put their name in it. When they first came, they joined the church. And this is what you'd do. You'd put two to three things that you had that you could share. It could be something you could do. It would be something that you had. And you'd just put it on the list. And everybody got the database so Elizabeth, the reason we connected with Elizabeth when the church first started, Elizabeth Cook, who serves as our chief of staff, I'm, many of you are praying for Elizabeth. She's been in the midst of a journey with breast cancer. She's finished chemotherapy. I want you to keep praying for her. Um, Elizabeth said, I didn't really like kids, but I didn't know what else to put down, so I put babysitting down. And of course, I was a pastor with young kids. Anybody that put babysitting down on the Ecclesia spreadsheet got a call from me right away and said, hey, would you come babysit? And we got to know Elizabeth that way. And so whatever you had, you would put it down. So for instance, how many of you here drive a truck? You drive a truck. How many truck drivers do we have? Like you've got a truck. There are a few of you. All right. Let me tell you why you've been given a truck. You've been given a truck to help those of us who don't have a truck move when we need a truck. So if you didn't want to share your truck, you should have bought a little Chevy Spark, okay? <laughs> Buy a Ford Taurus. You've got a truck, and that means that the rest of us have help when we need to move. If you're a Christian, you get to share what you've been given. That truck is yours, agreed. It's yours to share, okay? So let's just settle that. Anybody need a refresher on who's got a truck in the room? They can raise their hands again. You know who to call, right? If I go to your house, you know what I'm going to do when I go in your house, right? I'm going to go in your house, and I'm going to go to my favorite place in your house, your refrigerator. I'm going to open it, and I'm going to see what we're eating, because you're a Christian, and that means your food is my food, right? And that we're going to share, and this is the thing about being a Christian, that you just, you hold it really loosely, and you share it. And whatever car, whatever house, whatever gifts, whatever service you have, you've been given that so that you can share it with other people. And when life becomes that simple, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful life. And then lastly, I think all four of these things will make us much more like Bishop Muriel, Mr. Welcome. You remember what he says at the end of inviting in Jean Valjean? He says, come in, you know, we'll feed you what we have, we have to share, 
And then he says, there's a bed to rest till morning, to rest from pain and rest from wrong. Part of what I love about Bishop Muriel is that he said, as we walk into this place, we're made to be a people that empathize. We look at Jean Valjean, and, what, and I love the way he says it, right? He says, um, rest from pain. I'm going to empathize with you that other people have hurt you. You've been treated unjustly. Rest from pain. And then he says, and rest from wrong. What's he saying? He says, people have hurt you, and you've hurt other people. It, in the presence of Bishop Muriel, nobody could be purely the victim or purely the perpetrator. Do you follow what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? All of you have been hurt. And I'd say this to you, Ecclesia, you've been hurt. Some people have hurt you, but you're not all victim. You're not just a victim. You've also hurt other people. And he invites him in and says, will you rest from the places that you've been hurt and the places that you've hurt, hurt other people so that we can stop the cycle of pain? How many of you have been with people or you've been in, in situations and you've, it's just an endless cycle of pain? Someone hurts you, you hurt someone else. This is literally the life that Jean Valjean was living. He sings about it in a clip and I'll show you a little later. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Vengeance, you hurt me, I'll hurt you. And the cycle never ends. And Jesus enters and offers this grace that stops the cycle. It says you can rest from pain, you can rest from wrong. It's a beautiful beautiful gift. So I'm going to read to you from Galatians chapter 6. And I invite you as I read it just to contemplate the unique and differing stories of Jean Valjean and Javert. Javert enters this story, right? And Javert is the one who keeps the rules. He's all about the rules. Anybody know somebody that's all about the rules? Don't port to them if they're in the room right now. But the rules, what does Javert say? Right? He says, mine is the way of, anybody remember in the musical? He says, mine is the way of the Lord. The way, what I do is God's way. Right? Anybody heard anybody talk that way? My way is God's way? <laughs> That's a dangerous place to go. Right? There are all kinds of books. You can sell a book this way. If you, if there's one called Raising Kids God's Way. Like this is God's way to raise kids. Let me tell you, there's a lot of ways to raise kids. There's not just one way. Javert says, mine is the way of the Lord. And he was a legalist. He was a fundamentalist. He believed that the rules could save you, right? He was a man all about justice, only about justice. And when something happens to him where he's offered grace, do you remember what happens? Jean Valjean has the chance to kill him. He has the chance to expose him. He has the chance to allow others to kill him. And he shows him mercy and Literally, Javert does not know what to do with it. It crushes him. He ultimately takes his own life because he doesn't feel uh, that he deserves mercy. Jean Valjean, on the other hand, right, is an example of grace. A grace comes to him that he knows, he knows without a doubt he didn't, didn't deserve. He couldn't earn it. It's come to him as a gift. And this is the thing that I love in this story, Ecclesia, and I want you to hear it. Some of us know about the story of grace, but something different happens in the story of Jean Valjean when he finally submits himself to grace. 
I'd propose to you it's a different thing to know about, to hear about, to understand the idea of grace that's offered through Jesus, and it's a totally different thing to do what Jean Valjean does and finally kneel to it and say, I'm going to let grace overrule my plan and agenda for my life. I'm gonna give God complete control of my life. And when that mercy comes to him, it changes him. Let me show you a short clip that is Jean Valjean's response to this act of grace. And then I wanna read Galatians 6 to you before we come to the table and invite you to contemplate how God would have you to respond in grace. Why did I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate the world. This world that always hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stone. This is all I have lived for. from him and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack instead he offers me my freedom I feel my shame inside me like a knife he told me that I have a soul how does he know what spirit comes to move my Is there another way to go? Jean Valjean in the next line of this song, right, he calls himself a wretch. The same words that John Newton used, the writer of Amazing Grace, right? He was a part of a slave trade. He had given his life to greed and to injustice. And finally something happens and he sees himself as he really is. I think the temptation for many of us is to try to um, ignore the reality of our broken and sinful nature, and it cheapens the grace of God that comes to us. You see it in the story of Jean Valjean. He either is going to conquer the world, an eye for an eye, I will get back to those who have hurt me, I will hurt them in the way they've hurt me, or to be conquered. And this is the thing, the love of Jesus, the radical grace of Jesus finally has to conquer us. We yield ourselves to it. Or like Javert, we become people of the rules. I love this passage where all of the rule keepers come to Jesus and they push him about the law and the law. What's the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus tell them, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. And for this, Ecclesia, for these laws, I'd invite you to be fundamentalist. Live by it, by the letter of it. You could, you could apply it to yourself in every way. Say, I want to be a person that more and more and more loves the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves my neighbor as myself. Let me read to you from Galatians 6. And I invite you to hear these themes that Jean Valjean has embraced and lived. This is what Paul says to the church 
in Galatians chapter 6. He says, my spiritual brothers and sisters, if one of our faithful has fallen into a trap and is snared by sin, and this is inevitable, it's going to happen, it's happening now. He says, don't stand idle and watch his or her demise. Gently restore him or her. Being careful not to step into your own snare, shoulder each other's burdens. Isn't it beautiful to think none of our burdens are just ours to bear? And then you will live as the law of the anointed teaches us. Don't take this opportunity to think you're better than those who slip because you aren't. Then you will become the fool and deceive even yourself. Examine your own works so that if you're proud, it will be because of your own accomplishment and not someone else's. Each person has his or own burden to bear and story to write. So remember to share what you have with your mentor and the word. Make no mistake, God can't be mocked. What you give is what you get. What you sow you harvest. Those who sow seeds into their flesh will only harvest destruction from their sinful nature. But those who sow seeds into the Spirit, they invest themselves in spiritual things, shall harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Hear this one, Ecclesia. May we never tire of doing what is good and right before our Lord. Because in his season, we shall bring in a great harvest if we can just persist. Now, this is a gift to us. Hear these words from Paul. He reminds us, sometimes you're like, you picture Bishop Mariel as wanting to wake up every morning and go, who can I love today? Who am I going to love? And he just gets up with a love and an excitement that you don't have. And we think, as soon as I get that excitement, I'll do it. But you know what? Bishop Mariel's fiction but I know what it's like to be a pastor. I know what it's like to be around really good pastors. And a lot of days you wake up and you go, I don't want to love anybody today. I'm not in the mood to be nice to anybody today, but I'm going to do it because it's right. I'm going to persist in doing what is right. Don't let this romanticized version of Christianity divert you from the reality that most of the time, a lot of the time, you get up and you just persist in doing good. You just decide, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And if you can just persist, and then he ends and he says, so seize any opportunity the Lord gives you to do good things and be a blessing to whom? Who does he say to be a blessing to? Everyone. Say it again together. Be a blessing to everyone. And then he says, especially those within your faith family. Paul often talks about the reality. We ought to bless everyone but let's make sure we don't fail those close to us. I often hear people, they come to Ecclesia, new to Ecclesia, and just say, well, you know, how can we care for kids over there when we gotta care for kids over here? You're gonna hear about an opportunity as we close to make sure that kids in our community that live close to us have school uniforms. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, this thing we just talked about a minute ago, this is yours to share. When you see a need to do good, you do good. This is an opportunity to do just that. Now, often people want to go, we can't, it's either or. We either got to take care of the kids here, we got to take care of the kids there. And here's the kingdom thing, it's what? It's both. It's never either or. Let's take care of the kids here, let's take care of the kids there. Let's do all that God puts before us, and we can do more than we ever dreamed of.
So he says, right? Seize every opportunity to be a blessing to everyone. And make sure you don't fail those within your faith family, those that are close by. I was just reminded in the last service of an Ecclesian that uh, is still living in her driveway and, um, and in a trailer post-Harvey. We're coming up on a year, and it's one of those, we just lean in, we tried to help, we try to come around, we need more help, and we're just reminded there are needs everywhere. And so I'm going to pray for us as we come to communion, that we would be the unique people that are not so overwhelmed that we throw up our arms, that instead we prayerfully go about our business like Bishop Muriel. We give what we have, we share what we have, we ask God to guide us and lead us to the people we're supposed to serve and love. Would you bow with me and let me pray for you? Lord God, I thank you for great stories, great stories directly from Scripture and great stories inspired by your Spirit that remind us that we're a people of grace. Though you've given us the law, you've told us the greatest law (coughs) is simply to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we pray, God, that we would live into that law beautifully. We thank you that your grace has come to us and even as we come to this table together today, we ask you to bless this bread. We pray that it would be a physical reminder that a gift has come to each of us that we couldn't earn and we don't deserve, and that gift is forgiveness. And it's come through the price that you paid on the cross. Lord, we believe that you conquered sin and death itself so that we can live a life where we truly have nothing to fear. We thank you today, Lord, for this cup, for this wine and juice that says that in that act that each of us have experienced forgiveness, that the wrongs that we've done have been wiped out and we've been made clean. And though none of us are perfect, all of us have failed, that you bring each of us into your family, that you love us and you forgive us. And so, Lord, for that we celebrate today. And we pray that as we come to your table and we're reminded that you have made us your sons and your daughters, that we would also extend our table and our family to others in need. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.